Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. Come on, let's give Jesus a bigger hand clap than that. Amen. So excited you guys are worshiping with us today. Two very packed services. Anymore, we're going to have to figure out an overflow solution for first and second services. Amen. Come on. I love it. I love it. And because uh, I, I try to get people to move to our 130 service, and uh, it's just like everybody's like, no, this is my service. I'm staying here. And so it's all right. We'll figure it out. We'll get videos out in the auditorium or out in the foyer or something, you know, tents in the, in the parking lot. We'll figure something out. It's a good problem to have. It really is. Uh, for those of you um, who heard last week what we were doing this week, uh, first service, I had an opportunity to do something very special to, with our church uh, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer, we could say pastor, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, uh, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, nor violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but a lover of, and not a lover of money. Uh, He must manage his own family well to see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. This right here is the biblical qualification to be a pastor. And uh, we have three of our pastors that have been serving with us uh, at least two years, because that's what our bylaws uh, suggest, that have, have fulfilled this, have fulfilled what the Bible says about being ordained, being a pastor, being called into the ministry, and then they have filled what our, what our bylaws say as far as two years of service. And so first service, we had a great opportunity to... Uh, to to pray for three of our guys, Reuben, Brian, Rich, and so uh, call them, set them apart, amen, and uh, it's, it's a big deal because uh, Reuben is a second generation uh, minister, Brian, whose family has always worked in funeral services, he's actually a, a giver of life now, amen, and then, uh, and then Rich, who is a fifth generation pastor, and so it's just a really special moment for us first service, and uh, they, they all have responsibilities, and so Reuben just had a baby on Monday. Well, not him, not him, but his wife, right? His wife had the baby, and so they're all, they're all out doing things uh, this service, but we did want to take an opportunity with you guys to celebrate. We now have five licensed and ordained pastors on staff with us. Counting me would be six, and so praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. If you're interested in that, then we actually have lots of spots for you. Here's what we know. Your Place Church is a Mays County church, but we're not going to stay just a Mays County church. We know that God's called us to plant life-giving works just like this in other counties in Northeast Oklahoma. And so it starts by people just saying yes. What do you need me to do, Pastor? Like, I'll volunteer, I'll be in leadership, I'll serve, whatever it takes, because At the end of the day, guys, it's always been about people. You know what I mean? 
And I, I joke about this, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but when you get to heaven, God is not going to ask you how many insurance policies you sold. He's not going to ask you how many cars you changed the oil in. He's not going to ask what you did with, you know, paints and, you know, stuff like that. It's not, it's not about that. It's about his people. It's about his church. That's what he's interested in. And so for every one of you who serve on the dream team, every one of you who are in any form of leadership here at Your Place Church, thank you. Thank you. We know that right now the future campus pastors, because we need campuses in Northeast Oklahoma that are an expression just like this. There's a lot of great churches out there, but there's very few that's, that's like this church that's reaching uh, the people that Your Place Church is reaching. And so we know that right now you're in the room. Our future campus pastors are in the room right here, right now. Our future worship leaders, our future kids ministry people, our future youth and young adults pastors, like our future dream team leaders. Are you with me? They're all here right now. How many of you guys know that we need a Your Place Church in Tahlequah, Oklahoma? Amen, everyone. We need a Your Place Church in Miami, Oklahoma, in Wagner, Oklahoma. We need... Uh, expressions like this all over Northeast Oklahoma because so many, so many churches that have the resources to do a multi-site opportunity, don't, those, those communities are not on their radar. They're on ours. God brought them up in our heart, and so we want to go do stuff like that. But it takes us a little bit to get people trained up, and so that's what we're doing. And so we're so excited for these guys uh, that they've been set apart, which is a great segue into what I want to talk about this weekend. Uh, for those of you who are new with us, I've been in a series called Thriving, and uh, week one, we started talking about courageous faith. We're celebrating 10 years right now as a church, uh, and I've recently asked myself, what was it inside of me that God wanted inside of the people of Your Place Church? What was it inside of us as a, as a family or inside of us as a leadership team, a pastoral staff that we needed, that God needed inside of the people of Mays County? And so we've recognized that one of those is courageous faith. We talked about that on week one. Last week, we talked about uh, life-giving or abundant, if you will, relationships, authentic relationships. Does that make sense? We all need relationships in our life. Last week, we had a baptism after service. Nine people were signed up over three services, but we had over 20 people jump in the water last week. Amen. So good. So good. And so here's what I've learned. I've learned that preparation time is never wasted time. So many of us, we're, we're students in school. Maybe we're working to get our degree in college. Maybe we're taking extra courses to advance our career. And we think that it's just stalled out. It's just my time's on pause. It's on hold. It's not. Preparation time is never wasted time. You are becoming the person God needs you to be in the not-too-distant future. And there were things that I learned in my Bible school days as a 19, 20-year-old young man that I am seeing what he's doing today as a result. My core message that I learned in Bible school days is to guard your heart. Guard your heart. I had no idea how I was going to use that in all of my ministry opportunities, but to guard your heart. You'll have opportunities for people to offend you. You'll have opportunities for frustration to set in. All frustration is is unmet expectations. Well, how many of you guys know that life doesn't always give you what you expect? 
and you have an opportunity to guard your heart. Well, two ways that I learned back in Bible school days to guard my heart was, number one, God told me never despise the day of small beginnings. We had a youth group that was our first ministry assignment, which they're talking about right now up in Compass. And uh, when it was a youth group that was already established, when we came to be the youth pastors at a different church, they merged. That youth group wasn't connected to a church. They merged that youth group with our church. There was 30 students coming every single week. The first week I took over, we had two teenagers show up, right? It was just, that's just, it was like, woo, church growth, wrong direction. And, uh, but it was a small beginning. And it became probably one of the largest youth groups in that community. And we still just had a handful of adults worshiping during the, the, the church on the weekend. But this, this youth ministry, it's because I didn't despise the day of smaller beginnings. Are you with me, friends? Even here at your place, church, we launched with 134 people. Now we're in, I mean, three services, two of which are just packed out. We just didn't despise the day of small beginnings. The second thing that goes with protecting my heart that I learned was this idea to always remain teachable. You give me someone who's teachable, who doesn't think they know it all, who's willing to grow, who's willing to learn, we'll change the world together. We absolutely will. These, these gentlemen that you saw that we have now set apart, uh, the Holy Spirit said set apart unto me, Brian and Reuben and Rich for the work that I've called them unto, these guys are teachable. You, you, you give me someone who's not teachable and we'll be stuck. Teachability is a big thing to us. We have conversations around here. We critique everything. We're constantly growing. We're constantly having those heart and those soul check opportunities. Why? Because people are connected to what we do. But even still, even if people weren't connected, it's still okay to have hard conversations. We have a saying around here, we run, we run right at ugly. If something's ugly, we, we don't run away from it, we run to it. Are you with me, friends? And the only bad conversation that, that you can have is one that's not had. The only bad conversation is one that's not had. And so we have conversations, and we talk about stuff, and we purpose to keep our hearts teachable. And I want to talk about honest teachability this weekend. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the awesome opportunity that we had earlier, Father God, to just witness uh, the ordination of three of these men of God. And Father, we thank you right now as, the, as we look into your word. Father, you show us what your definition of teachability is. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when thinking about teachability, I think about, um, I think about the fact that we got a lot of water right now. And uh, the, the flood, it's not, it's not like the flood of 09. Remember, for those of you who were here in 09, like that was a bad one. And in 2015, we had another one. In fact, the one in 2015 was so, it came down so fast and the water was moving such, at a, such a rate, it actually took out the main road to get into our neighborhood back when we used to live over on Morgan Bell across from Salina High Banks right there. And the main road, like it just washed it out. And so what happens was we actually had to come back a mile west. We had to go like a mile past our normal street we had to come all the way back. We had to come all the way back around just to get into our neighborhood. And here's what we understand. 
we, we, we understand that roadblocks will always take us further than we want to go, and they'll cost us more than we want to pay. Does that make sense, friends? Every time, in fact, one, there was one night on a Friday night, I think we just had cabin fever. We just wanted to get out of the house and start driving around. And so we drove around. It was late. You know, everybody in emergency management is like, don't get out on the roads. And Tyra was like, you want to go for a drive? I'm like, sure. And so we, we turn around, don't drown, right? Like, that's a real thing. And so every time we would navigate, we had to go all the way to Dry Gulch Road just to cut back west just to come back into town. Like, it was just completely underwater. And every road that we would come to, there were trees down, or um, the county commissioners had put the, the little uh, roadblocks out. You know, sometimes you'll see roadblocks here when it's flooding. I think, I think prior floods when it sprinkles. I don't know. It just seems like there's always... Can I let you in on something? If the, if the gates are closed on Elliott or the, the, the barricades are out right here on um, 530, you can always come around through the industrial park the county commissioners have given our people permission. I know it's illegal to go around those barricades, but if you go around to come to church, you're not going to get a ticket, okay? And so they've said it's okay. But here's my point. Um, roadblocks are always in the way. They'll take you further than you want to go, and they'll cost you more than you want to pay. And so I want to talk about five roadblocks to teachability today. And I want to focus on a leader in the Bible We've seen leaders all the way through the Bible have teachability moments, but one of the ones I want to talk about is Moses. Now, Moses wasn't just a great leader in the Bible. He was, he was a great leader in terms of mankind. I mean, they made movies after him, right? Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. Then they had the uh, Prince of Egypt, which was the animated version one. And then I think in like 2014, somewhere in that area, they made Exodus, God's and kings, right? Christian Bale, the guy who played Batman, played Moses. Let my people go, right? It's kind of that, that whole thing, right? So Moses had to face roadblocks just like you and I. So let me set the stage up for you. Israel was in slavery for 400 years. God raises up a man to, to, you know, to go set my people free, right? And he does. We have the plagues. Um, Pharaoh goes after them. The river, you know, the, the Red Sea closes on top of them. It wasn't a river. It was like a Red Sea closes right on top of them. Um, they're on the other side now, okay? They're on the other side. They, after 400 years, they are free. But with freedom comes a new set of problems, comes a new set of responsibilities, a new set of challenges and issues that Moses has never faced before. And Moses feels the responsibility now of over 2 million people, and he's wearing himself out, okay? He's wear he, he is the president, if you will, but he's a one-man show. And his father-in-law shows up in Exodus chapter 18 and, and puts Moses in what I'm calling a teachability crossroads. Verse 5 says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness where they were camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and yours, your two sons. In other words, he's bringing Moses' family to him. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. 
They greeted each other and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had to meet along the way and how the Lord had saved them all. So Moses is telling Paul-in-law, right, about everything that God's done. He was like, it was so hard, Dad. Can I call you Dad? Like, it was so hard, right? And all of this stuff was happening, but God moved. He was so faithful. Verse 9 says, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the land of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, or from the hand of the Egyptians and Pharaoh, and who rescued you, rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. In other words, it works. Like Moses is trying to impress his Paul-in-law, and he's impressed. In fact, they spent the rest of the night kind of celebrating all that God has done. Uh, they go to bed. They wake up, and in verse 13, Moses has to go back to work, so to speak. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And, all, and they all stood around him from morning till evening, right? So Moses goes, he's got his table, he's got his gavel, right, his little hammer, and uh, he's up on this chair, and everybody's got to bring their dispute to Moses. And, and Jethro is watching this whole thing go down. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Look what he says. Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around from morning till evening? In other words, hey, Sonny, this ain't right. You're wearing yourself out, and this is not sustainable. Verse 15, Moses answered him, because the people come to me and seek God's will. And whenever they have a dispute, Dad, <laughs> it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instruction. Look at verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. Jethro says to him, listen to me. I'll give you some advice. Can you imagine Moses in this moment, okay? He's like the CEO of Walmart, right? Like a worldwide conglomeration. And his father-in-law, which basically manages a farmer's market, okay, comes up to him and says, why don't you sit down there, Sonny? Let me teach you a thing or two. Can you imagine being Moses in this moment? He's like, wait a minute. Why don't you, why don't you go back to your farmer's market and, and, and play with your turnips? I've got work to do, right? You can see why Moses, you can imagine being Mo Moses right here in this moment. And in this moment, Moses had an honest teachability moment. Is he going to listen? Is he going to take the advice of someone who may or may not know what he's talking about? Is he going to be teachable? Or is he going to cross his arms and be like, I, don't, I just don't think you can even speak to what I'm doing here. And so we see five roadblocks displayed right here. Number one, pride. Pride is a roadblock to teachability in your life. If you don't want to hear what people have to say, instantly we're at a roadblock. We're at an impasse. How hard would it be for Moses to swallow his pride in this moment and actually listen to his father-in-law who says, I'm not sure you're doing this right. When was the last time you 
me, when was the last time we had to swallow our pride? Maybe it's a work colleague comes in, you've got tenure at the company, you've been there a lot longer than them, maybe they're new, and they're like, hey, I don't mean to disrespect you, but I think there's a better way to lead this meeting. I think there's a better way to roll out this product. I think, that, I think what you're doing could be improved. Like, do we swallow our pride in that moment? Maybe husbands, when she comes to you, very sweetly and gently begins to tell you how to drive, right? Come on. Like, tell you how fast I'm going. I mean, you're going, okay? Tell you what lane I'm dri- what you should drive in, okay? Like, that, that doesn't ever happen at the Reigns household. And I've definitely never said, do you want to drive? Okay, so, like... These are all teachability moments, right? What do you do with that? Pride is a roadblock to teachability, and it keeps us from God's best. So how do you respond? Ask yourself the question, how do you respond when people tell you what to do? Do you feel threatened? Do you feel like they don't know or they don't think you know what you're doing or what you're talking about? Does your blood pressure begin to boil a little bit, begin to rise a little bit? Do you begin to say, I don't know if I have to take their thoughts about anything? Listen, here's one thing that I do. Anytime anybody critiques me, trust me, being a pastor of a growing church, it happens a lot, okay? But anytime anybody says anything, the first question I ask myself, is there any truth to it? Is there any truth to it? Do they have a different perspective than I, that I don't have? And I bring my pride down a level. Do, do you um, judge the person offering the vice because you ask yourself if they really know what they're talking about, if you really care what they think? These are all pride roadblocks. The second roadblock to teachability is simply fear. If Moses listened to Jethro, this would change the entire organizational chart, right? Because right now, it's Moses at the top of the chart and two million people underneath of him. And if he, if he says, if he takes into consideration what he's going to do, it's going to change all of that. It's, and here's what, here's what Moses is thinking. It's never been done that way before. Like, God put me in this position. The only model that Moses had ever seen on leadership was Pharaoh. And he definitely did not want to lead like, like Pharaoh lead Egypt, but it was the only model he had seen. Fear likes to rise its ugly head. Well, I'm scared to do that. I don't know of any other way than the way I'm doing it right now. You know, sometimes when we're parenting as, 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 as parents of these newborn kids, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to figure it out. And, and then next thing you know, just when you think you've got it under control, they start talking, right? no. Do you want a bottle? No. Do you want your diaper changed? No. It's time for bed? No. Right? Then they grow up a little bit and they're teenagers and you're wanting to post videos of them, okay, on your Facebook and, and then you got to get like a written consent two days prior, you know, before you post, post a video of them on your social media page. It's fear. Fear has a tendency to kick in in these moments. Am I doing this right? I used to joke, and I said, I guess I'll know if I, my parenting work if when all of my kids are 30, they'll either be a CEO of a company or sleeping on my couch, right? That's, that's how I know it worked. And so fortunately for us, at least two out of the three are, like, doing great. The third one, 
We'll let you know. He graduates this month. Amen. But there are roadblocks to our teachability. Pride, fear. The next one's insecurity. Moses, up to this point, man, he was the man of the hour. I mean, come on. Single-handedly, with the presence of God, led two million people through a sea, a body of water that had opened. God, on the other side, put a staff down in front of all the people, and as the Egyptians came into the sea, the water washed them all away. Moses had attained rock star status. And Jethro rolls into town and says, I'm not sure you're doing this very well, rock star, right? And he tells him to do the exact opposite of what he's doing. Look at this, verse 19. Listen to me, and I will give you some advice, sonny. And may God be with you. Like, he does it well. He sandwiches it, right? You know, you know what the sandwich is, sandwich is. Like, tell him something good, give him the meat, and then, like, tell him something good at the end, make a sandwich. He does it right here. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. In other words, you're doing it. That's what you're supposed to do. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. But, he says, you need to select some capable men from all the people. Men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as, official, uh, as officials over the thousands, over the hundreds, over the fifties, and over the tens. In other words, he says, you need to sit here. You can, like, God still called you to do this, but you need guys who are over the, you know, over the tens, over the fifties, over the hundreds, and over the thousands, right? You need, you need guys in all of those arenas to help you do what you do. What was his advice? You need help, bro. And if he takes his advice, Moses is no longer the only man of the hour. Now, he's sharing some of that with all of these people. And in this moment, insecurity has the potential to fly up, doesn't it? Insecurity. Well, what about me? Or what about my status? What are people going to think? Are they going to think I'm not good enough, that I don't know what I'm doing, that I have to have help? Insecurity is a roadblock to teachability, and, and I see it every single day in my, in my own self. Insecurity moments fly up. I see them with our staff at times, and we've got to walk them through it. And then there's this one. Yeah, but if I let them do it and they fail, it's a bad reflection on me. No, 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 no. They're probably going to fail just like you did when you were growing. And it's okay. We allow failures at your place church in all of our positions. I would rather have someone fail than someone who just doesn't do anything because they're scared to fail. Are you with me, friends? These are all teachability moments. The fourth one that's a roadblock to teachability in your life is simply pain. Pain is a roadblock. A lot of us, we don't want to endure any pain. Your previous pain can be a roadblock. The last time Moses had someone get in his face, like Jethro's getting in his face, it was Pharaoh, and that didn't go so well. And so our past has a potential to create emotions inside of us. And when somebody comes and gives us advice, 
all of a sudden we flash back to the last time this happened and it didn't go so well. And so we have a tendency to throw up a roadblock. We have a tendency to, to hold people at arm's length, to not let them in. When it comes to confrontational moments, Moses' track record wasn't good. And I think in that moment, every painful experience from Moses' past came back to his remembrance. Wait, are you questioning my authority? Are you questioning the voice of God in my life? We like to play that one a lot, don't we? Well, God told me. We'll play the God card. Why do we play the God card for? Well, because you can't compete against God. You can't compete against that. Well, why are you doing that? Well, I just feel like God told me to. Whether he did or didn't. You know what I mean? Here, we don't play the God card with our staff and our leadership teams. Well, I feel like God wants me to do this. I, I never come up and I say, I feel like God said this. And you're like, well, you should. Like, you should be getting direction from the Lord. I do. But the way I present it to my teams, I want them to be involved in the process. I know that God wants us to climb to the top of the mountain. How we get to the top is up for discussion. Are you with me, friends? I don't play that God card out there. Why? Because, because I don't want my previous experiences and the pain that I've walked through in my life to be a hindrance to their fulfillment. Does this make sense? These are big, big deals. And what's true for Moses is true for us. Every time we go up, there's a piece of who we are that has to go deeper. I illustrated it this way. Every time our house or our building or what we're living our life for goes up. So if this is the ground level right here and we're building this house that we call life. Every time you get a promotion, every time you get a pay increase, anytime you get more responsibility, your house goes up another level. For me, every time we add a service, every time the ushers are putting out chairs, every time that we get invited to do something else, you know what I mean? My leadership level goes up. Well, what I've noticed is every time your life goes up, then that means you have to dig your foundation a little deeper. Because if your foundation cannot sustain the growth, it won't be long, friends, and your building will come crashing down. We see it every day. We see CEOs, owners of professional sports, <laughs> you know what I mean? They come in contact with areas of their heart, little, little areas of unhealth, and they're, they're not willing to dig it deeper and make sure the foundation is secure enough to sustain what God is blessing them with. And here's what I've realized. Every time my house has gone up, my roles, my responsibilities have gone up, and every time, I mean, we go a layer here, not so bad. We go a layer here, not so bad. All of a sudden, as I keep digging deeper into my heart, I find these little pockets, if you will, of unhealth. Little pockets of unhealth. I'm not saying you're unhealthy, but you see things when you start to look at the foundation of who you are as a person, your character, your integrity, the way you respond to people, you'll recognize, and it's true in all of us, pockets of unhealth. And we need people in our lives who, who are in the car we're driving and who can see the blind spots in your life. You know what a blind spot is, right? You look in your mirror, you look in the mirror, you don't see anything, but yet there's a car right there. 
Everybody else in the car sees it, but you don't see it. Like we need people like that in our life who says, you know, every time someone challenges you, you do that thing with your face. I don't do anything with my face. Oh, yeah, you do. But what do I look like? You know, you do that thing with your face or your posture. It seems like anytime anybody challenges you, you bow up a little bit. Like you got to defend your ground or something. I, I do that. See, at your place church, when I say that, it's really. Will you call me out next time you see that? Absolutely. And we don't call him out. You're doing it now, bro. No. No, no, no. There's usually a sign. There's a wink. There's a head nod. The cue, whatever it is, we tell them, uh-uh, right now, right now. There's always something. And what is that? It's a little pocket of unhealth. Every time you're overwhelmed, I don't see you for two days. What are you doing during those two days? What do you do to escape? Because here's what I know. Temptation is at its height when you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored, or stressed. So anytime you disappear, all of a sudden something's got to go up. All of a sudden you got errands to run and I don't see you. Why? What, what's going on? Are, is there a pocket of unhealth there? Like, do we need to talk about this? Why is this important? Because if you don't deal with that and backfill that with some healthy cement in that area, a healthy foundation, it's just a matter of time before that building falls. Are you with me today, friends? This is a big deal. Our life grows in the margins of our life. Our life grows in that, which brings me to my last one, simply this. The last roadblock to teachability is pace. What is your pace? Is it sustainable? Hey, listen, there are seasons we all run wide open. But if your season is more like your year, your life, where you're running wide open, it's unsustainable pace. When you get there, people start, people start maybe pointing some things out, and you're like, I'm too busy. I can't talk about that right now. I got things to do. First one up, last one in bed. First one at the office, last one to leave. See, we were taught... Now, that's just what a leader does. Leader's the first one there and the last one to leave. That's what a leader does. Hey, get it. I get being with the troops and leading. We lead together. But that's a pride issue, and that's a pace issue. It's a pride issue, and it's a pace issue. When you get there, you'll know it. An unsustainable pace is a roadblock to teachability because it erodes the margins or that extra space in our life. The only way I, I, I can illustrate it, and I should have brought one, where it's spring, so we're all planting plants and flowers, right? Well, Tyra's got these, these flowers, these ferns that she's had for years, and they've been in the same pot. And every year, her mom comes over, and they take these ferns out of the pot and they look at its foundation. And this one particular fern, it's like it, it's like it doesn't get any bigger. In fact, it's kind of starting to kind of starting to look a little ugly. 
Well, what they'll do is they'll pull that fern out of the pot, and all of its roots are root-bound, is the phrase. It's, they're root-bound. And so the first thing that they do is they'll go in, and they'll start ripping those roots apart, and they'll stretch them out a little bit. Then they'll get a bigger pot, and they'll put some good dirt in it. And then they put that plant, which is no longer root-bound, into that pot. And they'll pack all this good fertilizer and dirt and stuff, and they'll water it. And guess what? Within a couple of weeks, it's growing, and it's flourishing again. Why? Because the margin, the extra, it has room to grow. And I think for us, everything in our life grows in margin. And when we're living in an unsustainable pace, the margins erode. And the good things erode with them. Jethro tells Moses, you'll never be able to do what God wants you to do. Verse 22, have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you. Then look at this. This is genius. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. Like, you don't have to make every decision, CEO. You don't have to make every decision, manager, supervisor, department leader. At your place, church, I say it this way. Let's pretend that this isn't a house. This is a ship on water now, right? These are the waves. I I say this all the time. If this decision was going to blow a hole in our boat, is it above the water line or below the water line? In other words, is this decision going to sink the ship or is it just going to be a little bit of repair? Any decision at your place church that's above the water line, I don't make it anymore. We've got 30-some people on staff and I don't know how many coaches we have leading this thing. And when people bring a what I would consider above the water line decision to me, in other words, if we, if we, if we don't make this decision correct, it's not going to sink the ship. Now, any decision that's made below the surface, like the boat is underneath the water, you know, it's not all of it, you see it, and they they blow a hole in the bottom of it, like this is going to sink the ship, that's mine. That's mine. Changing our service times below the water line. Like, I want to be involved in that. Deciding whether or not we should have kids ministry, that's a a below the water line decision. I want to be involved in that. How we do kids' ministry, that's right at the waterline. Like sometimes I'll just trust the leaders, just be like, just make the decision. Present to me, okay, this looks good. Jethro was giving Moses sound advice here. He's like, all the difficult decisions below the waterline, you make them. But everything above the waterline, man, just let them make them. And then look what he says. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, God and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain. And all these people will go home satisfied. Isn't that the goal anyway, Moses? They all got problems, and right now you're like, now serving 50. Sorry, 283 will get to you on Thursday. But what he's saying here is, no. Man, you put people in charge, Everybody goes home satisfied. They got their answer that they were looking for. Your job, Moses, is to represent the people to God and God to the people. But if you're so distracted, so busy, so tired, 
to do it, that it's not going to get done. Is it possible that some of us in the room, we've gotten so busy, our pace is so crazy that we're forfeiting the greater purpose that God's called us to in our lives? Like our families. Maybe leading that life group that God's been dealing with you about. Could be finding that calling that we talked about earlier. Well, one of these days, one of these days when I slow down. So here's my thought to you guys. Consider this a warning shot today, just over the bow. What are the two bottom ones for you? What are the two bottom ones? Is it pride? Is it fear? Insecurity? Is it pain? Last time I did this, it didn't go well. Lean into that. This time doesn't have to be like last time. As long as you're dealing with the pockets of unhealth. The reason why I went bad last time might be because you're unwilling to deal with some of the stuff. Are you getting anything out of this, friends? Honest teachability. What are your bottom two? Pray about it. I believe in the next 30 days, God will bring, you know what will happen? As you push this thing deeper, God can now push this thing higher. Amen, everyone? It's always about the heart. Always about the heart. And here's the thing I know. You can blaze your own trail if you want to, or you can trust God and let him do it for you. That's so much better that way. So much better. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that as we navigate through these waters, as we go through flooded roads of our lives, Father God, help us to identify roadblocks, down trees, impassable paths, Father God, that honestly, if we would just deal with them, Father, we would grow. We would go higher. Help us to have hard conversations with people who love us and with people who don't. Father, we trust you. God, we recognize that the only bad conversation is one not had. And we purpose in our hearts to be those who honestly pursue teachability in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you got something out of this today. Got a couple of more in this series that I want to touch on. Next week, I believe, is Mother's Day, so that'll be fun. We'll do a fun core value Mother's Day message that I think you guys will, will find interesting. Right now, I want to worship God with our giving. And a lot of people are like, why, do, why does the church have to take up an offering? Like, why do they do that? We don't sell any products. We're all excited about coming and worshiping at your place, church. And a lot of us don't know how it functions or how it works. And so it functions by us receiving this offering. That's how it functions. And some of you guys are generous. And so that's why we have Choco Tacos for everyone today. Amen? And so that's, because, and that's the church we want to be. We want to be the church that just gives stuff away all the time. Instead of being, if you don't give, we're going under. You know what I mean? We'll never be that way. But it, it, it works because you guys trust God in your finances. And the way that that happens, the Bible talks about to bring the tithe or the tenth to the storehouse every time there's increase. And so I want to enlarge your thinking a little bit today on that. You know, we think that just applies to us. I get a paycheck and it increases. But it also applies to any area of increase in our life. For instance, if I'm a real estate investor, I buy a house for $100,000, I put $20,000 into it, and I sell it for $150,000, my increase is $30,000. My tithe is off of the 30000 not the 150000 Does that make sense? That's the increase. And so we've always done that with everything that comes in. Someone gives me birthday money. 
I tithe right off the top of it. Some, we do this. Now, a lot of people will challenge me on this and be like, you know, your tax returns, you know, you paid that money and you tithed on that once. Yeah. But it's still increased to me. And so anytime I'm getting increased, I tithe off of it. I'm not telling you to. That's between you and Jesus. You do you. But one thing I am saying is, let me encourage you to treat your side hustle, your, your, your job, if you, if you own a company or you're in partnership on a company, let me encourage you to treat your company the same way you treat yourself. Like, when your company makes increase, like, bring that to the storehouse. I want to show you a story of a gentleman who, who took this philosophy in his own business and, and, and hear what he says. Take a look at this. Amen. So I'm going to pray over you. We're going to receive the offering today. There's buckets in the back of the room. You can go online to yourplacechurch.com. Uh, the giving kiosk is out at the outlet. And listen, we're not forcing anybody to do it. I don't go check the records, all right? There's a reason why I don't see who gives what they give. I don't want it to change my opinion of anybody. As far as I know, you all give awesome. You know what I mean? Because that's the way I want to keep my heart. But I do see the bottom lines. And I know that the bottom line would suggest that there's more available. So stand up with us. And so I'm just asking you to just trust God. Just believe God. That's all we'll ever say. We'll never tell you how much to give. We just say trust God. Amen. Father, we worship you right now with our giving. Father, I thank you that you said that if we're willing and obedient, we will eat the good of the land. Some of us, Father God, we're obedient, but it's, it, it, it would be hard-pressed to say we were, we were will, willing. But God, you want us to be willing and obedient. Again, it's a matter of the heart. So, Father, for some of us, it's just a little bit of an adjustment right here in this moment to get obedient, but to get willing in that moment. So, Father, we're, we're willing we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for the provision, the blessing, everything that you've added to our life. We love you for it right now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night for prayer. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.